Good morning. Um, we have two readings today. The first one comes from Hebrews, which was written um, after Jesus had lived, died, been resurrected, and then gone up to heaven. So it's Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23 to 28. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever. The second reading is from Leviticus. So this um, was written early on in the story of the Israelites um, and many, many years before Jesus was born. On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. He said to Aaron, Take a bull calf for your sin offering and a ram for your burnt offering, both without defect, and present them before the Lord. Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old and without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord, together with a grain offering mixed with olive oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. They took these things Moses commanded to the front of the tent of meeting, and the entire assembly came near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded you to do, so that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Moses said to Aaron, Come to the altar and sacrifice your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and the people. Sacrifice the offering that is for the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. His sons brought the blood to him and he dipped his finger into the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. The rest of the blood he poured out at the base of the altar. On the altar he burnt the fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver for the sin offering, as the Lord commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned up outside the camp. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. They handed him the burnt offering piece by piece, including the head, and he burnt them on the altar. He washed the internal organs and the legs, and burnt them on top of the burnt offering on the altar. Aaron then bought the offering that was for the people. He took the goat for the people's sin offering and slaughtered it and offered it for the sin offering as he did with the first one. 
He bought the burnt offering and offered it in the prescribed way. He also took the grain offering, took a handful of it and burnt it on the altar in addition to the morning's burnt offering. He slaughtered the ox and the ram as the fellowship offering for the people. His sons handed him the blood and he splashed it against the sides of the altar. But the fat portions of the ox and the ram, the fat tail, the layer of fat, the kidneys and the long lobe of the liver, these they laid on the breasts and then Aaron burned the fat on the altar. Aaron waved the breasts and the right thigh before the Lord as a wave offering as Moses commanded. Then Aaron lifted his hands towards the people and blessed them. And having sacrificed the sin offering, the burnt offering and the fellowship offering, he stepped down. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy and fell face down. Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu took their censers, put fire in them and added incense and they offered unauthorised fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke of when he said, among those who approach me, I will be proved holy in the sight of all the people. I will be honoured. And Aaron remained silent. Thank you, Saz. Morning, everybody. Paul Coop is my name. Uh, everyone calls me Coops and... Um, Good morning if you're watching at home as well. And if you're new or you're visiting with us this morning, let me add, uh, let me add my welcome to Sally's. Very warm welcome to you. And uh, it's good to be back up here speaking to you. I'm one of the pastors at Trinity Church Modbury. Uh, why don't we pray as we get into the passage. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for gathering us and for your word this morning. And we pray that you'd quieten our hearts now. Help us put aside distractions as we listen to you. Father, help us to hear well and be transformed by your words. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, so today's passage, as you know, and as you've heard, is all about the Israelite priests and how they mediate between the people and between God, between God's people and God, and to deal with their sin through sacrifice. And they sort of, you know, they act as this go-between or as a mediator. And it made me think, you know, we have mediators, don't we, in our lives um, today. You could buy um, shares on the stock market, for example, and you go to a stockbroker as a sort of mediator acting between you and, and the market, buying shares. Or maybe when you buy a house, you use a mediator, you have a settlement agent, and that's a sort of go-between. They do all of the financial stuff and the distribution of money and sort out transfer of titles and all those sorts of things. And the thing with mediators is, if they don't get their job right, things go bad quite quickly, don't they? We had an experience just like that, uh, Bronwyn and I. We bought a, a house years ago now, and so we engaged a settlement agent, like you do, and, um, 
and it got to the final transaction or close to the final transaction to the date we'd contracted and um, the settlement agent couldn't get the bank to agree to a date to, to do all the final things, to do settlement, you know, to transfer all the money and do all that sort of stuff. They just couldn't get the bank to respond. And so we had this contract on one hand with this settlement date and it was getting closer and closer and all of these financial penalties if we missed it and our mediator, the settlement agent, couldn't make it happen. And it was looking like um, it wasn't, it wasn't going to be good for us. And so uh, in the end, I had to go to the branch, one branch of this particular bank and made an appointment to see one of their consultants. And I explained the problem and they said, well, there's not much I can do because this is a completely separate, separate department. And I said, well, I'm just going to sit here in your office then until you can make the call and, you know, set this up. And they said to me, you do realise that I have appointments for the rest of the afternoon? And I said, oh, I'm really sorry, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm just going to have to sit here. And if I have to stay here all night, I will, but I'm not leaving. And it seemed like um, they didn't enjoy my company particularly because they did pick up the phone and they rang this department and they booked settlement and uh, it was all good. And uh, so I left. Which I look back now, it sort of seems sort of amusing, but um, it was pretty stressful at the time because this mediator, who was supposed to sort out this problem for us, couldn't do it. They couldn't deal with all of the, the details that needed to be dealt with. Uh, and I couldn't, I couldn't get directly involved with, uh, with the bank and the, uh, the seller of the house and the government department that dealt with titles and all that sort of stuff. That's what we had a, media, a mediator for. Now, if that goes wrong, it just costs more money. But what about something more, uh, more significant? Say, um, hostage negotiation, for example. Now, that sounds like the stuff of movies, doesn't it? And it is. Uh, but when I was living in the US for work, I used to travel down to Brazil quite a bit uh, for work. And uh, before I took my first trip, I did a bit of research. And this place I used to travel in Brazil had a very high rate of kidnapping Westerners and holding them hostage to uh, get ransom money. And all the experts that I'd read said, you should really get um, kidnap insurance. So if you do get nabbed, they can hire a professional negotiator. You don't want to leave it to local law enforcement to negotiate your life. And I thought that sounded like a really good idea, so I went and saw the financial controller of our company, and he said, nah, it's not worth it. We'll just leave it up to the local police. And I assumed it was probably just cheaper for them to replace me if I ever got nabbed. So I wasn't really comfortable. I wanted a professional negotiator in case that ever happened, standing between the kidnappers and my family. Well, I didn't get kidnapped, so it was never an issue. But if that, went, if that happened and it went wrong, it's life or death, isn't it? Like it's, that's very serious. So what gets more serious than that? What about the gap between the creator of everything and his creatures? What about a broken relationship between a holy God and his people? Because that's what sin does. It stands between the holy God and his people. That's the issue that stands between God and us. And it's serious because the consequence of that is, that's never ending, is it? The, the consequence of that is eternal because God is holy and sinful people can't be in his presence. 
and still we were made to be with God. We were made to have a relationship with him. And so for that to happen, something has to be done with this problem of sin. Sin has to be dealt with. And it requires a mediator, someone who can deal with sin. So that God's people can be with God. And to deal with that, you can't just go and pick it and sit in someone's office. And you can't buy insurance for it. It takes something far more substantial. And that's what the passage this morning we've just heard read uh, is talking about. And actually, the first seven chapters of Leviticus, so that was covered last week, the first seven chapters, they cover all the sacrifices that cleanse the people, all the offerings and the sacrifices that atone for their sin. Which is great, and if you read through those first seven chapters, every one of them involves a priest. The priest has to bring the offering and bring the sacrifices before the Lord. The people can't do that on their own. They're sinful, and so they can't be in God's presence. The priest needs to be involved. And so having explained it like that, does anyone see the problem with that? There is a problem with that because the priests are human, so they're sinful. So how do they make the sacrifices and bring offerings before the Lord on behalf of all the people? Sinful people can't be in the presence of the Lord. Well, we didn't read chapter 8, but that's what chapter 8 is all about. It's about Aaron and his sons, the priests, they're being ordained. And they go through this elaborate ceremony and their status is changed so that they're made ritually holy. And if you think about it, and I think it was mentioned last week actually, we do similar things uh, today, don't we? If you have a wedding ceremony, it's quite a complex ceremony where you take a couple of single people and their status has changed to married. Or a graduation ceremony, you know, where you, you go through that process and then you come out as a graduate. Well, in chapter 8, you get this elaborate ceremony of Aaron and his sons and they take on this status of being ritually holy or ritually holy priests. And the way that happened was the whole assembly gathered at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, here's a picture. This is a replica, obviously, of the tent of meeting. Here's a picture of the tent and the courtyard. And you can see the square object there in the front. That's the bronze altar. That's where the burnt offering was made. And then the item that's between the, the altar and the tent, which someone recently said to me looked like a bird bath, is not a bird bath. That's, uh, that is the bronze basin. It's on a stand and it's used for ceremonial washing. And it looks fairly, I guess that looks fairly uh, plain, but here's a picture of what the inside may have looked like. Two rooms and behind that curtain there, the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, the symbol of God's presence. And you can see how ornate that was. Golden walls and so on. And maybe this whole sort of tent of meeting concept is quite foreign to us, but the Israelites back then, they knew what they were looking at. They knew that this was the tent of a king. This, for them, it would have been common knowledge. I don't know, um, you may have read about this, but archaeologists found a carving of an Egyptian war camp somewhere in that, roughly that time period. And guess what? The king's tent was in the middle of the camp. It was rectangular. 
and it was made up of two rooms and the king sat in the end and it looked like this, this one at the top. It's a very similar layout to the tent of meeting, isn't it? So the Israelites, they knew what they were looking at and the whole assembly for this ordination gathers out the front and they know they are looking at the tent of their king and it's not just any king, this is the king of kings. This is the tent of the Lord. And they watch Moses as he takes Aaron and his sons and they go through this ceremony, special clothing, anointing oil, sacrifices of a bull, two rams, all to atone for their sin. And once that's all done, Aaron and his sons are told this at the end of chapter 8. Stay at the entrance to the tent of meeting day and night for seven days and do what the Lord requires so you will not die. Now it seems harsh perhaps to us to read those words but here are new priests to God's people. They mediate between God and God's people. So if they can't obey God, then what hope does God's people have? So this is what is required and they do it. And now, as newly minted priests, they can mediate between God and God's people. And that's where we pick it up in chapter 9, which is what we heard read to us. And in chapter 9, we see the real cost of sin and we'll see God's grace in dealing with it through a mediator. So what we'll see is God's grace and our need for a mediator. God's grace and our need for a mediator. So from chapter 9, on the eighth day, Moses calls them all together again and the entire assembly again, they gather out the front here of the tent of meeting at the front of the tent and this time it won't be Moses, it will be the new priests who will make atonement for the sins of Israel. They'll do that without Moses. So let's imagine that we're there with the Israelites standing out the tent, in the front of the tent of meeting and I'll put... Some picture of some people there to help us engage our imagination. We're standing there. It's been a week since the ordination of the priests. And we're gathered there again and we're standing waiting for atonement to be made for our sins. And that's what's described from verse 3 here. The preparation for atonement of our sins. And it's all happening so that today the Lord... The King of Kings will appear to us. That's what we heard in verse 4. For today the Lord will appear to you. So could you imagine that expectation? We're all standing there side by side, whispering to each other, today we will see the Lord. And we look across and we see the two bulls and the two rams and the goat and a lamb and an ox all waiting to be sacrificed. And we can hear the bleating and the mooing, the stamping of the hooves of the animals as they wait. And then Aaron steps up to the altar and he takes the bull calf and he slaughters it. Now I don't know if you've seen an animal killed that way before. I have on a farm and I remember thinking as all the blood draining out of this animal thinking it sounded like a garden hose was on there was so much of it and it gushed and it gushed and so it's like that 
as Aaron makes this sacrifice and he dips his fingers in the blood and he spreads it around the altar. And the blood's collected up and he pours it all out and all of the body parts are burned up. And the smell is so strong, catches you in the back of the throat. Years ago, I worked on a, a furnace where we would, um, it was being commissioned for fallen stock, like fallen cows that had died for no reason, it would, and we would put them through and they would be incinerated. And the hair and the bones and the skin and the meat as it burnt was the foulest, most pungent odour. It just got inside your nose and it wouldn't leave. And at the end of the day, I'd go and have a shower and I'd wash my hair twice and change my clothes, but it just stuck to my body. It was disgusting. So maybe we're getting a sense of that as we stand next to the Israelites and we smell that as all this is being done. And then Aaron continues the sacrifices, the ram and then the goat and the second bull calf and then the lamb and the ox and the second ram. What do you think we might be thinking as we were standing there and we saw all of that blood and all of the smoke from the fires, from the burning bodies wafting over us? Clogging up our nostrils, maybe we're covering our mouths with our sleeves to filter the air. What do you reckon might be crossing our minds? Do you reckon we might realise that Actually, this whole ceremony, this has just begun by Aaron and his sons making atonement for their own sin. Do you see it there at the beginning of chapter 8? Aaron came to the altar and slaughtered the calf as a sin offering for himself. That was the first part of this ceremony in chapter 9. You reckon we might nudge the person next to us and say, hey, why are they doing that? Didn't they just get ordained a week ago? We were here. They sacrificed for their sins back then, didn't they? I remember that. And maybe we'd realise the priests can't last a week without sinning, without turning in some way away from God. And so before they make atonement for us, the Israelites, they need to atone for themselves as they, before they stand before the Holy God. But they're human just like us. And I wonder if then it might dawn on us, actually, our human hearts are so far gone. Within one week, and I'm sure much sooner than that, atonement is needed again for our sin. And maybe standing amongst all of that activity, we're confronted again with the cost of sin, the terrible cost Now today we don't get that sort of visible reminder of what it takes to deal with sin, do we? Not in the same way. But standing there with those Israelites amongst the noise and the smell and all that animal mess, do you reckon we'd feel it? And while we're dealing with all those feelings, would we ask ourselves, what is all this for again? It's so the Lord might appear to us. And maybe we'd be reminded in a new way, the Lord is holy and we really are not. 
in our natural state, we are such a long way from the Lord. And that's what all this is for because sin has to be dealt with and it's costly. But it has to be dealt with if God's going to dwell with us. And so once it's all done, here in verse 23, we watch Moses and Aaron and they go into the tent of meeting and then they come out and they bless us. And maybe we see something like this. The glory of the Lord appears. The offerings are accepted. Fire comes out from the Lord and he consumes it. And what would we feel as we saw this? Fear? Respect? Awe and wonder? I reckon all of those. Because we've, become, we've come face to face with God. Maybe it's refreshed our understanding of what God is like. Could you imagine standing there, grabbing the arm of the person next to you and saying, He promised He'd be among us. And even though He is so very holy and we are so soaked in sin and so far from His holiness, look at His grace to us. Look how He loves us. He wants us to dwell with Him. And He provided a way. He gave us the sacrificial system and the priesthood who mediate it for us. Look at his love. And so we join with everyone around us and we shout for joy and we fall face down before our Lord, which is what happens here in verse 24. It would be phenomenal, wouldn't it, to be there and see that? But this morning our story didn't end there, did it? Even though it feels like, well, maybe it should. It sort of seems like this is the way things should end up. God with his people. But those first few verses that Suz read for us in chapter 10, we heard that sad story of Aaron's son, sons, Nadab and Abihu. Now, if we were with the Israelites back then and we'd heard about the death of those priests... Perhaps we might realise, actually, what God has done to sort out this problem of sin through these priests, it needs something more. There's a more perfect and lasting solution, actually, that's needed. Because look at the account of what happened here. Nadab and Abihu, they did something against the Lord's command. You see there in verse 1, they offered something against the Lord's command. And they knew better than to barge in on the Lord the way that they did. To barge in on the Lord in a way that he didn't allow. They knew better than that. They knew this was the king of kings. God's priests lead God's people. They're held responsible for that. They mustn't lead his people into complacency. Where would that leave all of Israel? And so God delivers justice and they die. And I wonder if we were there and we'd heard what had happened, would we realise actually a human priest can never mediate for us perfectly and they certainly don't live forever. No, 
But it is clear that God intends to dwell with his people. And so he must have a greater plan. And of course, we are in this position. We know what that was. By God's grace, he did provide the perfect priest and the perfect atonement sacrifice in Jesus. And Jesus died and he rose again to be with the Father and he intercedes for us. And through faith in him, we're credited with his sinlessness and we're forgiven. And that's how we can be with the Holy God forever. No more sacrifices needed. And that is worth shouting for joy, isn't it? And falling before him, at least in our hearts, if not with our entire bodies and our voices. And so do we do that? Because I reckon it's possible to get a bit complacent. Nadab and Abihu got complacent in how they approached the Lord. So what about us? What is our attitude to sin? How serious are we in that? Or do we sort of get on each day with, it'll be right, Jesus will forgive me, that's his job, sort of attitude. I think sometimes it can feel not as real and tangible to us like it did for the Israelites. See, they saw how terrible sin was when they stood in the middle of all of that slaughter and all of that mess. God demonstrated his grace and his love by providing this sacrificial system and the priests to make it all possible for them to be with him. And the Lord appeared to prove it. And with all of that, they probably couldn't help but respond by the way that they did, shouting in joy, falling before him. But actually for us, this side of the cross, it's clearer. It's clearer actually how terrible sin is and the need that we have for a mediator and for the love that God has for us. See, all those animals, those sacrificial animals, they could never solve finally the problem of sin and neither could the priests he took the perfect priest and the sacrifice of god's son to deal with it and that's how serious it is it took god's son and that's how much god loves because he took it on himself to fix this problem and we know it works We know it's worked because God dwells with believers now. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 verse 22 says, where it's written, And in him, meaning Jesus, in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So if the holy God dwells with us now, then it proves that this problem of sin has been dealt with. And so we're certain we are forgiven. It doesn't matter what we've done or how we've ever thought about sin before or the attitude that we may have had to it. We're forgiven through faith. And through Jesus, it means that door is always open. And so the right response, just like those Israelites, is to shout for joy and fall before him in thankfulness and repentance Yes, acknowledging the seriousness of sin, but freed from its burden. So we're no longer standing amongst those slaughtered animals and the blood splattering and the smoke swirling all around us. We are washed completely and finally 
in the blood of Jesus. Because the grace of God brought forgiveness through faith in one perfect mediator, God's Son, the man Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word today and your gracious gracious provision of your perfect son, Jesus, to fix what we could never fix, our problem of sin. Father, we thank you for providing this for us and for being brought back to you through faith. Father, we pray uh, this week, please help us see again the seriousness of sin and how serious you love us and help us to turn again to you in thankfulness and repentance for what you've done. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.